Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode number 174. If you want to read the show notes for this podcast, you can do that. Go to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for episode 174. The show notes are a skeletal outline of what I share here in audio format, and you can read what I'm sharing here if you want, and you can also share that with other folks, or you can just send them this podcast. I want to give you the title of the podcast, but I want to give you a warning first. I don't want you... Well, some Christians get their exercises by jumping to conclusions, and so I don't want you to jump to conclusions. I want you to listen well. Pause your heart for just a moment. Guard it. Reflect on what I am saying. And as always, if you want to talk about any of our podcasts or articles, you can do that on our website. We have free forums for anybody in the world. Fill out your username and password. Jump on there. Ask your question. If you are a supporting member, please go to our private forums, and that would be good, and we will meet you there and answer whatever questions that you have. All right. You're not going to exercise, are you? You're not going to jump to a conclusion. You're going to think reflectively. You're going to guard your heart. Here's the title of the podcast, episode 174, Rethinking Sunday Morning and God's Word. Now, I have been thinking about this for a long time now. I think about it personally, but also because of what I do for a living. I interact with thousands of believers around the world, and there are some common threads that run through all of us, things that we care about, things that we struggle with, and one of those things is this idea of the Sunday morning sermon. The preaching of the Word is irreplaceable. Did you hear that? (laughs) Let me say it again. The preaching of the Word is irreplaceable. That means it cannot be replaced, should not be replaced. Don't ever talk about replacing the preaching of God's Word. But it's not a magic bullet that will change lives, families, communities, and cultures if we don't know how to work it into the warp and woof of our souls practically. That means to get into the nook and crannies of our souls I didn't say to work it into our lives. I said souls. And I did mean that word, uh, souls, because that is the basket word that encompasses all of our immaterial, non-organic being. Our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, our emotions, our wills, our intentions, our consciences, on and on and on, our souls. The preaching of God's Word is not a magic bullet that will change us if we don't work it into our souls practically. And this is the call of preachers to equip the saints. Let me give you an illustration to start off with. I want you to think about this. I've been rolling this around in my head uh, for about two months now. Here's the illustration. Pretend you went to your fifth grade U.S. history class and learned a lot about your country. Next year, you're in sixth grade, but you retake your fifth grade history class. And you do the same thing in the seventh grade, the eighth, the ninth, the tenth, the eleventh, and the twelfth grades. Every year, you take your fifth grade history class. You repeat the same class, but more than that, you repeat your entire fifth grade 
every one of the classes. And so when you land in sixth grade, you do fifth grade over again. And then in seventh grade, you do fifth grade over again, and on and on. The people would cry out, and the academic world would crumble. Would you want your child in that kind of educational environment where every year is basically repeating some version of the same thing? Now, I'm aware that you can shoot holes in my pretend game here, my little illustration, and I get that. But before you do that, before you send me that email, will you take the time to reflect how many Sunday morning church meetings, the sermons specifically, are similar to what I have described? Now, I realize not exactly, hold off on the email, but close. Now, there are uh, variables involved in this. Let me share with you some of the variables. For example, everybody who shows up for a Sunday sermon is not in the fifth grade. And so if you imagine that fifth grade class is not just a group of 10-year-olds or whatever the age is for fifth grade. On Sunday morning, the congregants span the entire academic spectrum, which means, to use the illustration, they go from no school at all that would be an unregenerate person who shows up on Sunday morning, to postgraduate fellows, people who are immersed and mature in God's Word. And so on Sunday morning, this, these are some of the variables to the illustration that I was giving. On Sunday morning, it is not just a fifth-grade class full of 10-year-olds or 11-year-olds. The congregants span the entire academic spectrum from unregenerate to those who are very mature in God's Word. Now, perhaps you could turn the illustration around. Try this. Say that you have uneducated and postgraduate fellows sitting in that fifth grade class receiving instruction. What do you think about that? So let's say we take a normal fifth grade class and we bring those who have no education whatsoever and we bring those who have gone all the way through college and have received some type of fellowship and you bring them all together and put them in a fifth grade class. That's the opposite of my illustration. Most Sunday sermons are a one-size-fits-all speech. The typical pastor takes a book from the Bible and starts working through it chapter by chapter, line upon line. And then, of course, during the summer or during the winter when people are traveling, whatever, they sprinkle in a few topical messages along the way. Now, most evangelicals like the exposition of God's Word, line upon line, book after book after book. By the way, I do too. So please hear me when I say that. In a vacuum, there is nothing wrong with this type of Sunday gathering and preaching. But the question that is worth pondering is whether or not it's the most effective way to equip Christians. Now, I'm not upset. I'm not mad. I'm just throwing something out there, and I'll explain more why I'm doing this as we move along here. But it is paramount that we have this discussion. Now, I am not asking if expositional type preaching is the best way to add to our knowledge. 
expositional preaching typically is an excellent way to add to our knowledge. But what I'm asking is, is it the best way to equip the largest gathering of saints at any point of your church's life on the church's calendar on Sunday morning? So in that entire swath, that demographic, from unregenerate or the uneducated to the mature saint, the postgraduate fellow, when they all shrink down and come together in that fifth grade class to hear an expositional type message, one size fits all, is that the best thing to do when you have only one opportunity to gather the entire church together? You see... Gaining Bible information, education, is only part of the equation for equipping the saints. And so you could possibly say that gathering this broad demographic, this swath together and and shrinking them down and pushing them into a fifth grade class and educating them is a great idea. I think that in itself is problematic. But I am not just asking, is it the best context to increase their knowledge? I am asking, is that the best thing to do with the Sunday morning sermon to equip the saints? Because equipping the saints is more than academics. It's more than stacking knowledge upon knowledge upon knowledge upon knowledge. There's a shorthand equation or a formula for gaining wisdom. It's really easy to remember. It's called knowledge applied, the application of knowledge. So when I talk about the equipping of saints, it's knowledge plus application equals wisdom. Knowledge alone can make you arrogant. It can make you, honestly, a fool. Application without knowledge, well, it can make you a fool as well because you're, you're applying nonsense or non-biblical stuff. And so knowledge alone in a silo is not nearly enough. Application alone in a silo is not nearly enough. And so you bring them both together and you have the application of knowledge and that equals wisdom. And so my question is, it's not about whether expositional type preaching is good or bad. I like expositional type preaching, but the title of the podcast, episode 174, is Rethinking Sunday Morning and God's Word. Is this the best thing for churches to do with the broadest swath of people that meet for an hour or so to hear the preaching of God's Word? Now, before you email me, please listen to this quote, I love to study the Bible expositionally. I enjoy reading commentaries as they work through the Bible verse by verse. I am a fan of exploring it, the Bible, with others, or what we typically call a Bible study. So don't read this or listen to this as a person who is attempting to throw out a valuable form of communicating God's Word in private, whether you're doing it for yourself or public settings. But is it redundant on Sunday morning? Or is it the best use of such a valuable time for maturing in Christ? You see, jumping into a Bible study is easier than ever. Expositional preaching 
is easier than ever, or teaching, to find and to consume. Whether you do it with your church friends, whether you do it online, there has never been a time in history where studying the Bible is easier than what it is today. We have bukoodles, if you don't know what that is, it's, it's a hyperbolic lot of Bible study aids and sermons, and you can hear your favorite preacher, which I hope that would be the one that you listen to on Sunday morning. By the way, that's another irony to this problem. Sometimes in small group, I'll hear people talk about, well, I was listening to so-and-so famous preacher today. And that's where they get their primary growth is outside of their local church. And it's, it's kind of sad. Should Sunday morning be another Bible study? It's, it's one of the questions that I'm asking here. I mean, because Bible studies are easier than ever, should Sunday morning just be one more? I have seen a few liabilities to always doing expositional preaching on Sunday mornings. And by the way, expositional preaching, by and large, is a Bible study. And so you can somewhat put those two words together synonymously, Bible study and expositional preaching. And so my question is, is that the best thing to do on Sunday morning? Let me share a few liabilities of this idea. One of the liabilities is the preacher is basically giving you a running commentary of a passage. Expositional preaching in the simplest form is giving you a commentary of what the passage says. You know what? We have commentaries all over the place. And I've heard some people say, well, if he's going to do that, then I'll elect not to do that. And so basically, I am deferring my commentary study time, the expositional preaching time. I'll just go hear hear the sermon, and I don't have to work out my own salvation by studying and reading myself. Now, perhaps you are a person who, who loves both expositional preaching and, and you do a lot of work on, on your own, digging out and reading commentaries and other tools that we have to study God's Word. One of the things I would ask you to be careful as you listen to this podcast is don't map your experience over this podcast as though your experience is, is the only thing that... that uh, that that you can the only way that you can interpret what I am saying, because what I am saying is not just from my experience, but I am talking about thousands of hours of counseling, meeting hundreds upon hundreds of people, and that's my next point. Let me make it: gaining Bible knowledge is one thing, but how do I understand what I am learning practically? And it goes back to that formula that I gave earlier. Knowledge applied equals wisdom. And if the Sunday sermon is just expositional preaching, what you're going to get out it, out of it is Bible knowledge. But after a few thousand hours of counseling, here it is, educated Christians. I can tell you that their problem was not a lack of Bible knowledge. Their problem was either they were inept, they didn't know how to apply what they were learning, or they were unwilling to apply it. And this is a liability to expositional preaching. Now, one of the other things that I hear, so liability one is the preacher's basically giving you a running commentary, 
And so you can just go there and get your, your, your Bible study for the week. Number two, if gaining Bible knowledge is, is the only thing, which it's not, well, then you have a problem learning practically, and we do have, and you've heard this expression yourself, if we just learn how to apply everything that we knew, uh, we wouldn't have to study the Bible anymore. We'd spend our lives applying what we already know. Now, I don't want you to take that as far as some people would take it. We, we always want to study the Bible but there is no question with so many of us that the application of the Bible falls far short than our understanding of the Bible. Number three, there is a phrase that I hear all the time, and it's becoming a little bit frustrated. The frustrating, the phrase is, well, that was a good reminder. The phrase, that was a good reminder, is now a Christian cliche. It's like the seventh grader being reminded again what he learned in the fifth grade. He says, that was a good reminder. I believe a lot of preaching serves that singular purpose as we gather out afterward and say collectively, wow, that was a good reminder. Is that the best use of our Sunday morning to get a good reminder? And then number four, we become nugget collectors. Now, this idea is similar to the previous one about well, that was a good reminder. And we get our nugget of the day as we gush for, well, let's say 120 seconds or less over the gym that the preacher got from his studies. I love that nugget that he said. Did you, did you know that in the book of Isaiah, there was this thing that meant this to the Old Testament writer, and that's why he said this, and that's what that phrase means in the Hebrew, and I love that nugget. This problem is similar to many Christians' fascination with Facebook and that they get their nugget to carry them through another day as they like that quote or watch that short video. And then if you ask them four days later about that nugget that they gained, they would not be able to hardly remember it if they could remember it at all. And so point number four is that we become nugget collectors. But is it transforming you? Number five, I'm talking about the, the liability of expositional preaching. Number one, the preacher becomes a running commentary. Number two, we gain Bible knowledge, but we don't learn how to practically apply it. Number three, we get all these good reminders in the seventh grade, the eighth grade, ninth grade of those things that we learned way back when. Number four, we become nugget collectors, which last for about as big as the nugget is. Number five, we fumble the football on Sunday afternoon as we prepare for or head to our next Bible study. You could say it this way, TMI swallows the Sunday message. Too much information is what TMI means. Too much information swallows the Sunday message because it only lodges in short-term memory. Your short-term memory is a container designed by God to hold stuff until the next thing flushes it out. And so I, I, I wonder, I mean, you could 
take this assessment. I'm going to give you some assessment questions later to think about these ideas that I'm sharing here. But think about, let that three days pass and or four days pass or go all the way to next Saturday and think about last Sunday's sermon and, and see if it's been flushed out of your short-term memory container. We fumbled the football on Sunday afternoon. Number six Of course, depending on your grade level will determine what you gain from your Sunday morning message. Perhaps it would be good for you to reflect now. I I was asking earlier, what, what was the message about this past Sunday? And in what way is the Lord transforming your life because you heard it? Think about that question. In what way is the Lord transforming your life because you heard it? Transforming you. Not not did He give you a nugget, not did He give you a good reminder, not that you have gained some knowledge, but how is transformation practically happening because of the sermon that you heard this past Sunday? That's number six. And then number seven, there is this magic moment, as some folks believe, that if you preach it, People will change. And maybe at this point I should go back and say that I love the preaching of God's Word. Specifically, I love expositional preaching. But some people believe that if you preach it, people will change. Now, without question, there are isolated incidents of of this kind of transformation all over the world. But in proportion to 52 sermons a year, what the gathering on Sunday morning could be and the deep-seated sanctification issues in Christians' lives, it seems we need something more useful. It seems we need a better way than what we are currently doing. When you, when you measure, now perhaps you're just not that engaged with what's going on in, in your world or Christians' lives, that you're not that intrusive in people's lives, and so maybe you don't even see it of how dysfunctional so many people are. And I do, I have shared many times in the past that I I understand my statistics because my statistics, because of where God has placed me, I probably see more or as much sanctification problems as anyone because this is what I do all the time. But in proportion to 52 sermons out of the year, what the gathering could be and the deep-seated sanctification issues in Christians' lives, it seems we could do do better. In my old fundamentalist days, we used to turn it up by preaching louder. That was the the solution. If people are having problems, preach louder. And that's what I mean by this magic moment. If we just get them to hear the preaching of God's word, the way we used to say it, we we would preach the hell out of them. That's what we used to say as though the decibel level was vital when it came to life change. Now, many people still believe in their version of this idea, But it sounds better when you talk about expositional preaching. We just need to get them under the preaching of God's Word. And that's that magic moment idea that is fallacious in in a big sense. Here's something that I would like for you to do as I, I wrap up this podcast is I want you to assess your sermons. I want you to take a diagnostic of your sermons to see how effective they are. I'm not asking you to be critical of the preacher, the pastor, the person who is, who's bringing the sermons, but I, I want you to take a personal self-assessment 
Now, if you can't do this, and I know it's easier for us to talk about people on the other side of the fence. I know it's easier for us to condemn, you know, the liberals, those on the left, or those so-called evangelicals who are, you know, they, they have a prosperity gospel or whatever it is. It's so easy for us to do that. But we're unwilling to address the log in our eye, eyes. And what, what I'm asking here is without being cynical or angry or, or frustrated about it or fearful or fearful. I want you to diagnostically assess this because honestly, how you live in this world depends on how you answer these questions. And so a diagnostic question is how are you discussing Sunday's message with your spouse and children, say over lunch or Sunday afternoon, when you leave the parking lot of the church, one of the last things or the biggest last thing that you have heard is the Sunday morning message. Are you fumbling the football? Or you can't help but talk about, and what you're doing, you can't help but talk about the sermon, and what you're doing is you're extending the message because you can't contain yourself. You want to talk about it. It affected you then when you heard it. It's affecting you now. And so you want to discuss it. If you're not married and don't have children, you're going to find somebody to discuss it with. How does that go with you? Here's another one. When you gather for a small group for uh, talk about the sermon, are the participants on fire? ready to talk about what God did through the sermon? Or are they blankly staring into their notes or mobile devices trying to remember what it was all about a few days ago? Carefully think about what I'm asking. We must be willing to diagnose, assess ourselves. Well, here's another one. How did your three-year journey through Romans on Sunday morning help you, teenager, who's also in the fifth grade class? How did your three-year journey through Romans on Sunday morning help you to interact with the growing trans culture at your school, at your high school? Here's another teen question. Average teen, are you able to connect the Bible you're learning about on Sunday morning with the growing contentious political climate in your world? These are real questions. And unfortunately for many Christians, there is such a, a disconnect because we, we huddle in our religious silos, disconnected from the very community that we are to penetrate, but we're really smart in the Bible. Here's another one. The real question for all of us is, do you know what to do with the Sunday sermon practically? Do you? Here's another one. Husband, you had listened to more than 50 sermons last year. How is it impacting your marriage, your children, your other relationships? Now, you can go on and on with these questions. And my goal here is not to be an irritant. It really isn't, but to draw attention to something that does not work well for a lot of churches. Sunday morning is the one time during the week where every demographic from every age, typically the teenagers and up, gather. The amount of knowledge that each person possesses of all those people that gather, all the individuals that gather, the amount of knowledge that each individual possesses is as varied as the demographic. 
it would be wise to take that moment to equip the saints academically, knowledge, and practically connecting it to the world in which they live because all of them live in the same world. The preaching of the Word is irreplaceable. Did you hear that? The preaching of the Word is irreplaceable. But it's not a magic bullet that will change lives, families, communities, and cultures if we don't know how to work it into the warp and woof of our souls practically. The real test would be to have this conversation with husbands, wives, and children. If you are a husband and wife and children, I would love for you to gather around in your kitchen or wherever it may be. And you start talking about this. Ask each other how the preaching of God's Word is transforming your lives. I double-dog dare you to have this conversation. And if you don't have a wife or a husband or children, get with somebody in your church and have this conversation. Here's three questions that you can ask. Number one, dear child, teenager, Young person, how is the preaching of God's Word changing your daddy? Is it transforming your daddy? Now, if you can't have this conversation, there is something drastically wrong in your family. Number two, wife, what kind of growth are you seeing in your husband through the preaching of God's Word? Now, you can flip that around. Husband, what kind of growth are you seeing in your wife through the preaching of God's Word? Number three, and again, if we're making so much of preaching, let's make a lot of preaching. I am making a lot of preaching. In fact, I'm not taking away from expositional preaching. I'm making so much of it that I'm saying it can transform lives. But how are we doing that? I have more questions and I have more to say, but I am at the end of the podcast. If you want to talk to me, please jump on our website and let's talk. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.